time for some poop talk. Always a favorite topic of ours here on the Moms on Call podcast. My name is Jennifer Walker, along with my fellow pediatric nurse, twin mom, and friend, Laura Hunter. And we're excited to have you with us for today's episode because we're discussing the things to look out for, the mentality to have, and the protocol you should take when it comes to your child's poop. We love taking your calls, and today we'll be answering questions like what to do about having a dominant twin, and if it's okay to deviate from the prescribed nap schedule. But first, we like to start every episode of the Moms on Call podcast with some valuable advice you can take with you into your day. And if you have to step away, we get right to it right at the beginning as we discuss why it's important to change the conversation and celebrate your child's four-month developmental milestones. Breakthrough, breakthrough. We don't call it a regression. Right. It just feels so much better when we really express that this is something that is good. It's helpful. They are breaking through to this new stage where they have greater understanding. They're learning how to roll over to use their limbs further. And it's really something that we can celebrate. It's not going to set anybody back. It's going to propel us forward. It is. And I think that sometimes they start preparing for that four-month regression, quote-unquote, months in advance before we ever get there. And so we want to try and change that conversation. It's a developmental breakthrough. It is a bump in the road. We have an incredible blog for that. So when that four-month developmental breakthrough begins to happen, give them time, opportunity, and freedom to figure out how those new muscles work, to figure out this newfound freedom and movement that they have, but they can do it and believe in them. It's just a bump, two or three days and things will be right back on track. And when you are keeping the routine intact, then it allows them really to propel over that speed bump, like you said, Laura, in record time. And before you know it, things are back to normal and you are enjoying all the things that moms on call families enjoy. Some more of that predictability, some great sleep. And not only that, but you will do it looking forward to the future and knowing what your kids are capable of. Whoever said babies and toddlers don't come with an instruction manual never met the Moms on Call. They have helped over half a million families navigate parenthood with their best-selling books, online courses, apps, and network of certified consultants. And now they're sharing their experiences as nurses, business owners, and moms with you, completely unfiltered. Welcome to the Moms on Call podcast with Jennifer Walker and Laura Hunter. So today we're talking about poop. Poop talk. So the kids are going to love this because, you know, because it says the word poop. Yeah, hello. That's just the best. But it's eternally funny to say the word boom. It is so funny. And I mean, when I tell you taking calls for as long as we've taken phone calls and worked with families all these years, one of the most common phone calls after hours that we would get, regardless of age, I'm talking about from newborn, even up to teenagers, was 
Poop. Poop. Frequency. Consistency. The changes. Constipation. Straining. Fussing. They have, And I think so often people don't realize that, one, normal bowel movements can just be kind of all over the place a little bit, but they also don't know what to expect and when to worry. And that's, that's why we put a whole chapter in the book, right? Because that was one of those most common phone calls. And we'll start off younger first. So I can remember with my kids, just in the same household, the ranges of normal for my newborns. So, and some were breastfed exclusive. Some of my kids were breastfed and a little formula. Some of them were formula only. And even with all the kids, it kind of ranged from once a day to six times a day to once every three or four days. And it was all pretty normal for the most part. And I think, Jennifer, one of the things that probably surprised me the most was what you think is normal, how quickly that can change, let's just say the color of it, and it's still being normal. So I think it's the wide variety of what normal is. It's just recognizing how metabolically different we all are. And yeah, you really touched on that. Like we get a lot of questions about is this normal? That's when we, when we get the poop questions, I think that's the big thing that we're looking for. Is this normal? My twins pooped six times a day a piece until they were two and a half years old. So yes, count them up. We did between 12 and 16 poopy diapers a day, and we could practically afford a car payment when we didn't have to pay for diapers anymore. But yes, there are different consistencies and different amount of times. And I think one of the really big things that's so hard to absorb is it can be normal as frequently as every feeding to as infrequently as once a week. And that, when you have one kid who's going maybe six times a day and the other kid who goes like once every three or four days, and when you have the kids that go less frequently, they tend to have a bit more gassiness. You know, things are still moving around in there. So sometimes they tend to, you know, have a little bit more gassiness and fussiness than the ones who go so frequently. And the ones who go so frequently tend to have a little more diaper rash because there's just so much action going on down there as you're wiping this that many times a day. So, you know, they all come with their pros and cons, but it's just unbelievable the variation of what can be considered normal and the times that it's not normal. Let's talk about not normal stuff with the poop. Right. So we know a couple of things. One, right around that six to eight week mark, they're going to have that huge digestive change, right? We always got those calls <laughs> right at about eight weeks of age that where parents were like, my baby hasn't pooped in, in a week, you know. My favorite was 21.2 hours. And I was thinking, what was the point too? Like, it just always makes me think like, this was it. This was my limit. Once it's 21.2 hours, I'm calling somebody. Two hours, I'm calling somebody and they're going to, yeah. and I just rolled. I, and it was like two o'clock in the morning when we got yep, that one. Yep. And, but around that six to eight week mark, they're going to have that kind of normal digestive change. And the point when we're talking about what's not normal, what's not normal is more what we're looking for is blood in the stool, right? If there's blood in the stool, we know that that probably needs to, to be looked at and touch base with your PD. Absolutely. And really specifically, more than a teaspoon of bright red blood at any time 
is an immediate call to the doctor. Yes. Right. And that's what we love about, you know, the docs, because they're able to say, oh, wait, it was only one time it was a smear of blood. Well, there may be a little irritation right around that opening and then and it's done and that's it. But that doctor will be able to help you with those things. The other thing that we start to think of is like, okay, well, when do I need to seek help? Because they're straining and pushing and grunting. And again, as they're not pooping as often, they're trying to figure out how to work these muscles, right? Mm -hmm. They're trying to figure out how to squinch the stomach and relax the anus and trying to figure out how to get all that stuff moving through those systems. And sometimes that takes a little time. But if they're crying inconsolably, if those stools are hard little bitty rocks, then those are reasons that we're like, oh, wait a second, we've got to have somebody take a look. Well, and I think you bring up a really great point. So we want to make a differentiation between constipation and infrequent stoolers. So the definition really of constipation is hard pebble-like stools. They are really just hard to get out. And when you see hard pebble-like stools, that's what we would consider, quote-unquote, constipation. Infrequent stoolers is, you know, maybe it's happening once or twice a week, but when it comes out, it's kind of soft. This is going to gross you out so bad. You know, maybe kind of, <laughs> I don't want to ruin anyone's love for frozen yogurt, but like yogurty consistency. It's a lot. Yeah, they make up for lost time, but it's softer. It's kind of squishier. Somewhere in between like the Play-Doh and the yogurt. But the hard pebble-like stools, that's what real constipation is. And then the doctor can instruct you on what things to do to help soften that stool. There's a lot of really natural, great ways to do that so that it's just easier to come out. It's easier on the gastrointestinal system. Infrequent stoolers, we don't fix that. Like there's not a fix for that. If it's coming out, but the consistency is still good, it's just less frequent, they'll have a bit more gas. They'll be figuring out, you know, how to move some of the gassiness to a more comfortable spot. You'll notice that, but it's not something we generally need to fix. That's just kind of how their metabolism is set. And so the frequency of that does not define constipation. It is actually the consistency that defines constipation. So another consistency, funny that you say that word, is diarrhea because we would get a ton of calls about these loose watery stools and again sometimes you just have a day or two where they're more loose and that's just kind of normal and we're not overly concerned about that but there does come a time when we do get concerned about those really loose stools one of my favorites was this mom had called and she's like you know my, I think the kid was maybe nine or 10 months old and she swore that he had had like 20 or 30 diarrhea episodes in 24 hours. So as we do, we're kind of talking and kind of getting more to the gist of it. And she was counting every little squirt as a full diarrhea <laughs> diaper. And I'm like, okay, whoa, 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 wait, let's kind of go back. And, you know, and so really diarrhea that we're going to get concerned about, Jennifer. So yes, we know that blood, if there's blood in the stool, then of course we get that checked out. The other kind of times that we're going to get concerned is if there is coffee ground looking material in those stools in that diarrhea. And when we say coffee ground, it literally looks like you took coffee grounds. However, this is a tip. Bananas 
can make those stools look like that. So sometimes you have to kind of look, oh, wait, is this really? Oh, they had bananas yesterday. Again, touch base with your pediatrician if you're concerned. But bananas can make those stools look a little funky. When you look, think about an actual banana and the very inside part that has like those little almost black looking seeds in it. Yeah. So you, you can see if that's happening over time with or without bananas, you notice that there's some what looks like coffee grounds in there. Absolutely. And you were talking about diarrhea, diarrhea, the number of times you have diarrhea. So we don't freak out about diarrhea a whole lot at the pediatrician's office. But if you have more than five to seven days of how many diarrheas a day, Laura? More than six times a day, full diapers for longer than five to seven days. You know, certainly if there's fever, if there's vomiting, those factors would make us act sooner. But just diarrhea all by itself, just loose stools more than six times a day for more than five to seven days, that's when we're really going to start doing some of more of the stool testing and whatnot. As long as they're drinking and eating and otherwise healthy, that's kind of the, the, the parameter that we use. And then also, if it's associated, which brings us to if the symptoms are associated with other things, with fever, with lethargy, then those are reasons that we would call sooner. We talked a little bit about the color and we know that, you know, breastfed babies tend to be pretty yellow those first few weeks that they get here and maybe even a little further than that. But we also know that sometimes those breastfed babies' poops will get really green you know, on occasion, especially when the bodies are trying to link up with each other almost. If they're not emptying that first breast, right, we'll sometimes see those stools get a little more green if they're getting some of that four milk versus that thick, rich hind milk. So that's all normal. Again, the colors we don't necessarily get overly concerned about. All right. What about these toddlers and these toddlers, when they are holding these stools, and I know that you have families that you have worked with, I mean, just too numerous to even count with these kids who are, are holders. I mean, we have seen it in the doctor's office and it can become a, a, an issue. Oh, it could take down a household. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yes, my God. Right quick. Well, yeah. Well, so we manage the behavioral elements of that or we allow the pediatrician to manage the medical issues with that. But so much of it, like it takes over your life. And so the new familiar of your household becomes poop talk all day. And we're, we're obsessing about it because we want it to be resolved. We see that they're uncomfortable and it disrupts the running of our household, you know, so much. And then that becomes the norm. We're always focusing on it, always talking about it. And then even when it becomes a little bit easier for them, then the familiar of talking about it all the time is still present. So we address, you know, a lot of the behavioral elements of how to address it without it overtaking life, of how to help them to get familiar with what's normal and, you know, limiting the amount of time that they're sitting on the toilet and how to express that in a way that helps the situation instead of, you know, it just escalating and de-escalating into this big snowball of tears and fights all the time. So we are absolutely able to help in all of those ways. And in those times, you know, we do, we get sometimes kids that are 
legitimately constipated. And there's another element on the other side of that. I wanted to say other end of that. <laughs> a little pun. <laughs> um, but yeah, the other end of that is something called toddler diarrhea. And I know a lot of people don't know that this exists. Yep. And that is like a true diagnosis. diagnosis. That's kind of like an empty diagnosis, though, because we're not going to do anything <laughs> about it. But here's the thing. Your toddler's going to go through this time where they have sometimes six to eight diarrhea stools a day for a season that is that has no definable medical cause. So, you know, they'll go through the testing and the child is gaining weight. There are no other elements after they've been appropriately tested and evaluated by their pediatrician. Don't be frustrated because, yeah, you know, nobody acts fast on diarrhea typically. Diarrhea in and of itself that's not associated with other symptoms. So after you've had this for a while and they really can't identify a source and we've made some dietary changes and what have you, there is a diagnosis called toddler diarrhea. There is sometimes some gastrointestinal systems just go through this season where they have diarrhea for a time, and then it resolves on its own without significant intervention. And um, it can be really frustrating to get that kind of diagnosis. It's definitely messy and stinky, but it exists out there. It does. And so that uh, ends our poop talk for today. No, there's so many more things we can talk about <laughs> poop. But just to wrap up, any more than a teaspoonful of bright red blood, blood in the stool, stools that are hard and pebble-like, or more than six times a day. Um, you know, these are the things that we think about. And in the end, <laughs> anytime that you're concerned, certainly engage your pediatrician. And if it turns out that there are behavioral elements associated with that, you can also engage one of our Moms on Call certified consultants to help walk along these frustrating things that sometimes poop brings into our life unintentionally. We will help you through all the poop as a new parent, there is one thing that you will experience, and that is nasal congestion. It may be what we call newborn congestion those first few weeks, or those pesky colds that make eating and sleeping difficult. Picture having to hold their arms, legs, head all at the same time while trying to suction out a small nostril. It can feel as if you have been wrestling an alligator. Well, Dr. Stephen Gowdy, a pediatric ear, nose, and throat physician, created the NoseBot to help. The NoseBot is a portable, rechargeable electric nasal aspirator with hospital-grade suction. And the great news is no more manual suctioning is needed. I love the unique nose piece design that frees up your hand to stabilize the head and it is super quick and efficient. This also makes an incredible shower or holiday gift for new parents. Go to www.drknowsbest.com and use offer code MOMSONCALL for $25 off the NoseBot nasal aspirator. That's www.drnoze. B-E-S-T dot com with offer code MOMSONCALL. Always consult your healthcare provider concerning when and how often nasal aspiration should be used. When you become a parent for the first time or for the 10th time, you are going to encounter a lot of unique situations. And sometimes you just want another set of ears to hear your issue and offer you some seasoned advice. 
Laura and I are happy to be those ears for you. Leave us a message at 888-234-7979 or send us a message on Instagram. You can follow us there at Moms on Call. And we're going to try and answer as many questions as we can during our Moms on Call podcast. Hi, my name is Jessica, and I'm calling from California. I have a son who just turned four months. You can hear him probably in the background. And my question, like so many other parents at this point, is naps. For him, sometimes he wants to sleep that full two hours keep that full two hours or should I do the recommended hour and a half that I see in the book? I just wasn't sure if I should be waking them up in an hour and a half, those first two morning naps or letting them get that two hour stretch. So thanks for everything you guys provide for parents. I look forward to possibly hearing my question answered. Thanks. Bye. Jessica. Yes. A nap question. We know. Wait, what? There's a nap question. Another nap question. Gosh, I wish we had a magic wand, Jennifer. That we could just make these naps just all perfect and exactly the same every single day. And and that just doesn't really happen. And so However, I do like this question. I love the question. Should I wake them up a little earlier if they're napping too long? That's one of my favorite of the nap questions. So Jessica. And and the answer is no. No. No, if you can get a two-hour nap, by all means, you go for it. Really, what we want to encourage families to do is you have that 15-minute grace period on either side of your time. So, for example, let's just say they're four months old. Let's say you're on the four-month routine. If they're on the four-month routine, you fed at 11 a.m. They're going down for that nap somewhere around 1 that next feed time is somewhere around three. If they are sleeping, they can sleep right up to three or 3.15 even. So you have that 15-minute grace period. So the answer to that question is no. Let them sleep up to two hours at a time and get those in when you can and celebrate when that happens. And I often like to remind you, if you are feeding at 3.15, the rest of the schedule does not shift by 15 minutes. So it's just a grace period on any of the times listed. Like Laura said, we're celebrating over here on your behalf. Hi, my name is Lauren Cartwright. I'm calling from Dunwoody, Georgia. I am a mom to four girls. I have a four and a half year old. I have twins that turn two in March and I have a newborn that is two months old. My question has to do with my twins, and I know you are both twin moms. I have one twin that is extremely dominant, and it creates a whole dynamic, not just between my twins, but also with my older child. She decides everything in the house, or she throws a major tantrum. So she's currently going through a purple phase, so everything that is purple must belong to her. Another example of A dominant issue is that we have an Anna and Elsa doll, and if her sister is not carrying Elsa around when she wants to be carrying Anna around, she will have a complete meltdown and force her sister to carry Elsa. And it's gotten to the point now where her twin sister and her older sister are bowing down to her needs um, because they see how upset she gets when she doesn't get what she wants. And we also don't know how to navigate that as well, especially with a newborn when there's just a lot 
going on. Would love to hear what you guys think as twin mom experts, especially as we're kind of navigating this new normal um, in our in our family as a family of six, four girls, and with twins that are two. Love the podcast. Love the books. This is my fourth mom on call baby, and I wouldn't have it any other way. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Lauren, oh my goodness, you have your hands full of the most wonderful blessings. I know it doesn't always feel like that. It feels like chaos at times. And we just want to tell you that, yeah, we have been there with so many kids and so many places where you feel like you need to intervene. So the advice that we want to be able to give you is twofold. Number one, when we're having issues like this, we would love to walk through this with you. This is such a great way that the consultations partner with you. We'll do the quiz from the toddler by design with you so we can see what the motivators are for the kids and give you really personalized, practical things that are going to be super effective and successful and walk with you through it just to kind of get used to some of the new ways of handling that. So this is one of the things that helped us to start being able to support parents and families in a way that gives you the support you need in these kind of situations when the demands are so high, even though it's it's a wonderful, wonderful life. Congratulations on the new baby. Yes, a few of the things that uh, we want to say is number one, nobody gets to demand their way in a household that's going to function well for everyone. So that demanding nature is really not only taking its toll on you and your heart as the mom, um, but you can see that it's taking a toll on everybody. So that crying and the response, that super over-the-top response that you see, it's really valuable, actually. And this behavior isn't going to stop until it costs her something that she doesn't like. And she needs time and opportunity to feel disappointment without it being somebody else's responsibility to kind of calm her down from that. I just want to tell you, and I would shout this from the rooftops, she is entirely and absolutely capable of being able to manage and and calm down from that disappointment that is so, so, you know, dramatic to watch. And it does, it does take some time, right, Jennifer? I mean, to try and reason with a toddler isn't necessarily going to happen at the beginning. They don't necessarily have all the self-control in the whole wide world just because you say one time, oh, we don't want you acting like that. That's just not going to happen. But we know that they can and they need some cheerleaders behind them believing in them and then setting up what those expectations are. Yeah. And that's part of the three-point teaching technique. I want you to review that in the toddler book. You said you love the resources. So I'm presuming that you have the toddler book. Look at the three-point teaching technique and then look at the hug moment because we do want to place ourselves on her side and tell her what she's capable of at a time when her heart is open to receive it. So we want to be able to send that message repetitively. And in order to open that heart up, it is going to be kind of loud. And she's going to have time and opportunity to figure out what to do with those human emotions of disappointment and frustration. And we're going to transfer that responsibility in really positive increments back to her So she can begin the the process of self-regulation on behalf of your whole household. 
Hey, my name is Karen. I am currently living in South Florida. Um, I'm a first-time mom, seven-month-old. And my question to you guys was, uh, my daughter sleeps great. I mean, I follow a lot of the tips that you guys have said when it comes to sleep. But the issue that we're having right now is that she, that's her in the background, is that she's only sleeping in her room, like in the dark, white noise, pitch black with her swaddle or sleep sack, rather. She sleeps great. I mean, she'll sleep for, you know, an hour and a half, two hours during the day. And then at night, she sleeps 12 hours, which we love. But we're having trouble getting her to sleep when, you know, she's in daycare because there's light. And even though they incorporate the white noise, it's still very bright in there and there's a lot of stimulation. And then so I'm I'm questioning whether we're doing something wrong, whether we should be getting her used to sleeping in her room in the in the light during the day. I hope that that makes sense and I hope to hear from you guys soon. Hey Karen. So this is another question that, that parents all over the country have because the environment, the sleep environment can be different from daycare to home, or when we're on vacation, those environments are different. So a few things. One, daycare does what they do. Let daycare handle it. They've got that taken care of. When she is at home, ideally, we want natural light coming in the room for those naps. We don't need it to be pitch black for naps. Natural light coming in will start to help her prepare and be able to go a little bit easier between those two sleep environments. And you're right. We absolutely don't swaddle a seven-month-old. You caught yourself saying that she was in a sleep sack. Uh, Sleep sacks at this age usually are just fine uh, if you have those at home. So natural light coming in and that'll help. And it really does. We love to hear that She's sleeping 12 hours at night. It really does start to settle in all that you put into place by setting her little 24-hour clock. Even when there is light and noise, if they'll just kind of keep putting her down at the same times, that really can help. So all that hard work that you're doing, maybe open the blinds up just a tad during nap time and allow time to you know do its good work. Keep at it and congratulations. If your specific issue wasn't addressed in this question and answer segment, you might be able to find the answer on our website, momsoncall.com. We're also on Facebook and on Instagram. And if you are still at a loss, you can leave us a message with your specific question. We might get to it in an upcoming episode of the show. Our phone number, 888-234-7979. We like to leave you with the good stuff. That means we're going to put a smile on your face and we're going to leave you with your heart feeling happy. We look for stories that are uplifting and encouraging and talk about the best of humanity. We call this segment the good stuff. All right. So a lot of times, you know, we're like, well, what difference can a dollar make, right? It's one dollar. Well, a young man by the name of Anthony Tallies in LaGrange, Georgia, was convinced that he could change the world for the better if everybody just gave one dollar one day at a time. So he began kind of going out. He's always been in, you know, involved in community service and what have you. And, and he was always just that type of person like, hey, 
somebody's house burns down, I'm going to be there and we're going to help get things done. And that's when he first noticed he did. He raised like $8,000 for this family just by asking strangers to donate $1. That was it, just $1. And he said, when I do stuff like this, it brings me overwhelming joy. And he said, well, you know, people were saying, well, what are you planning to get out of this? Like, why are you doing this? And he says, hey, I'm going to change the world. I'm going to change it one life at a time, one dollar at a time. So he has a Facebook page and he uses that to fundraise and uh, he calls it One Dollar Thursdays. And that's where he tells all of his friends and his families what that goal is for that week. And he says, just send one dollar. This is the goal. This week, we're going to give to whatever that might be. And I would have to think more people send probably more than a dollar, but one dollar. And, you know, when you think of those small contributions and how they do add up and and some of the things that he has done, he's bought shoes for kids and clothes and he bought ice cream for every single elementary school student. I'm like, okay. I want it to be there for that day because that would have been really, really cool. And so I just think, you know, how often we sometimes look at the big picture and don't realize that $1 or something small, maybe it is just flowers for the next door neighbor or bringing in the trash cans, right, for that neighbor and and how those little things do add up. It reminds me of, of two stories. The first one, very popularly, we know that Jesus fed the 5,000, but what he asked of the disciples was, give me what you have. He didn't say feed the (laughs) 5,000. He just said, give me what you have. And what God can do with what little we think we have is amazing because he multiplies it with all of us. And, you know, all making that contribution, which I thought is is fantastic. But the other thing it made me think of is I had a friend who had this incredible Jamaican accent, told me this story one time I've never forgotten. And it was about starfish along the shore of the ocean. And the starfish had all washed up on the shore. And they used just as far as you could see. And so, you know, the two people were walking and one of them is taking the starfish and throwing them back into the ocean. And his friend says, why are you doing that? Look at all these stars. Like, there's not a possible way you could, you know, make a difference. And um, in this great Jamaican accent, I remember my friend going, and he bent down and he picked one up and he said, made a difference to that one. Made a difference to that one. <laughs> I'm sure destroying this, right, right. <laughs> you know, accent. But I would just always think about that. At the back of my mind, there is my friend's voice going, made a difference to that one. <laughs> so it really does. It's that same thing that I think we, um, that we all have this opportunity to make small contributions. Give what you have. It multiplied. It can do great, great things. And hopefully maybe you'll think in the back of your mind now, Jennifer's awkward accent going, made a difference to that one. Thank you for listening to the Moms on Call podcast. Please visit momsoncall.com for more resources to help you parent with confidence and thrive, not just survive this amazing parenting journey. The number one way that people find out about new podcasts is word of mouth, just like Moms on Call. 
and your endorsement of this show is so important. Please tell all of your friends about this show if you think something in here would be helpful or bring a smile to their face. Also, please leave us a five-star review if you listen on Apple Podcasts. And if you're so inclined, write a short paragraph about what you like about us. Thanks in advance, and we appreciate you for listening to the Moms on Call podcast.